Hi, Laura. Hi, Mary. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. What's your temperature? My temperature is, oh man, it's so good. I love my temperature today, but it has nothing to do with ALS. That's why. <laughs> if I was taking it for a for ALS alone, eh, I might have a little different answer, but I, I need to focus on some other good things. So um, my temperature is really good today because I have my first official order for bookmarks, you know, that I make Yay. my cottage of Mare Haven little business of paper making. And it's for somebody who belongs with a belongs to a group of women, like a community of women, and they do a Christmas exchange and they have a Christmas lunch. So it's like a dream come true in terms of an order for me because it gives me lots of lead time. I'm not scrambling, which I'm never going to do with this business because I love I love doing it so much that I refuse to take on any projects that would cause me stress. If this business causes me stress, then it's not a good business for me. And I really want this to be a good business for me. I'm going to call it a an ALS caregiver owned business, because I think it's important that we're out there, that it's not just a caregiver owned business, but an ALS caregiver business, because it's done so much for me. It helps me continue to redefine who I am separate and apart from caregiving. So it's kind of like, well, then why would you want to say it's an ALS caregiver owned business? Well, I would want to say that because I want businesses to know and business owners to know and people to know that we're still really relevant and we can do good things, right? Like I don't, there's some things I would never want to do working from home. And I don't mean this in a snotty way or hoity-toity way, but I put a lot of time and effort into my career for 25 years. And I, there's a lot of work that I wouldn't do virtually that's not engaging enough for me. And this is engaging for me, right? From the beginning to the end, there's never enough hours in the day to work on that and take care of my caregiving tasks and spend time with Tom. And and I love that though, because I, I need to be a busy person and I need to be like building things up for myself that are really important that I can take with me in the beyond life. And so I got my first order. I'm never going to make a lot of money at it. And I just don't even care because it's it's fine. I'm going to donate a little portion, a, a portion like the bookmarks. I think on Etsy will be $7 because they take fees out and everything. But um, I'm going to take like a dollar per bookmark and donate it to a fundraiser for ALS Christmas for families for Christmas. I love that. I love that. So how's your temperature? My temperature is good. And I just want to tell you, I think that's great because you get to be creative and you are probably one of the most creative persons I've ever had the privilege of knowing. So I like watching everything that you do. And just for our listeners, I'm going to brag a little bit. I got one of Mary's papers, one of her prints with her photos. And I'm just telling you, they're gorgeous. It was beautiful. I'm so, I love it. I look at it when I, it's in one of my uh, shelves, I just had a big wall unit built and it is proudly displayed right in the middle next to Tom's stuff. So thank you, Mary. Yay. And I love that. And we were, we, you and I, before we got on camera, before camera, well, we are on camera because we're on zoom, but before we started the podcast, 
we were we were talking uh, about gratitude, a different take on gratitude, where gratitude comes from within us of what we can give to be givers, not necessarily what we receive from other people that we might have gratitude for, but a deeper meaning of gratitude is to be able to give. And that's so interesting to think about. I want our listeners to think about that too. But I had so much fun giving that to you. And it was definitely, it was definitely merry eyes because it was not perfectly wrapped. That would be me not perfectly wrapping anything, but I was very anxious to get it to you because I, because I really like it, but I thought that you would really like it. Like being able to give that to you was really fun for me to be able to do that. So I, I felt like I was in, in the giving, I have so much gratitude. Well, it was, it was beautiful. Cause you know, I love there's certain parts of, cause I had the, the opportunity to visit North Carolina, uh, the Holden beach area earlier this year and fell in love with not just the beach, which was beautiful, but these beautiful, the fencing that they have, which is not something you see here in, in Texas at our beaches. And I fell in love with that. And, and that for our listeners, that was the print that she put on the paper she made was a picture of like the beautiful fence line on the beach. And it was just, that made it more special. So if our listeners want to see anything that I'm doing with the paper, I have little videos, small videos on TikTok at Mary Han Ward on TikTok. I used to have it under the cottage of Mary Haven, but I'm really more identifiable as Mary Han Ward. So that I changed the, my name back on TikTok to that. And I, I'll put more videos on as time goes on and I'll put a link to my Etsy site when it's live. I'm working on it. Um, bookmarks seem to be well-loved. I will not be putting prints of photos on the bookmarks because it's not possible to do it in the printer. But I have specialized stickers and glitter and I let, I'm going to laminate them. Well, and what we can do is we can also put some some photos on our Facebook page that we have now for ALS caregivers and beyond. And we can attach that when we post this episode. Oh, great idea. Okay. Like in the comment section. So if you find our Facebook page, ALS Caregivers and Beyond, just look for episode. This is episode seven, right? Yeah. Yep. Look for episode seven and we'll throw some of her pictures of some of her work in the um, comment section. And Etsy lets you put, um, well, they encourage you into videos with your listing listings. So I was able to, yesterday I spent about an hour and a half or so taking the photos. It's really tough to get photos of, of photographs on the paper. Like it's really tough to get good photos of Tom's paintings because you don't, your blue isn't really the same blue. And no matter how hard you try, the greens, the oranges are a nightmare. It's really hard to match it all up and have it really look like the product. So I've, I've done as good a job as I can do with it, but you can also take a video. So because you can't see the mica glitter on there. And Which the it stuff, really does catch the light. Like you, it, I, I do appreciate the, that. And you do not get that in, in the stills. That was one of the things I think I stared at and moved it and was um, blown away by how much the mica picks up the lights. Yeah, it's fun to do. It, it, it was it was beautiful. Yeah. So I did so I did some of those in in the light 
in a little video so it would pick up the sheen because otherwise it's just um it just doesn't have the dimension enough you know to show you the glitter i got some new fun colors and stuff and glitter like oh how fun yeah kate was like what are you getting i'm like getting lots of glitter <laughs> <laughs> anything i want sweetheart that's what i'm getting and they're so fun so yeah so look for it on um on our facebook page so so we both have good good temperature you're planning a trip soon you're going to be going away for a few days I am. So my temperature is pretty good today. Um, I'm getting ready to go to Mexico for my little niece, my little niece. She's not little. She's old enough to get married, but um, we're going to be joining our family in Cancun this Friday. Oh, that's going to be for five days. So I'm super excited. A little kind of, you know, while I'm excited, there is still that um, the last time my last couple of times I've been to Mexico was with Tom. So there will be probably some memories I have to work through and, but I'm, I'm glad I'm starting it in a, in a position or in a mood where I feel like I'm on top of things right now okay. and I prepared for it. And that's the other thing. I think sometimes when you, when you prepare for, you know, certain events, it helps. And then you, it's okay if if you have some hard moments there, you're, you're human. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to give it to myself. Like, just like we've said multiple times yeah. in other episodes, I'm meeting myself where I am. I'm not, I'm not going to push the grief away. You know, I'm, I, I'm allowing myself to grieve, which mm -hmm. I'm allowed, I'm going to allow that, you know, time for myself when I'm in Mexico, which, you know, let's, let me just be honest here. My son is going with me and I'm excited that he'll have cousins and he can hang out with his cousins and leave his mama alone. That'll be so good. I'm super excited about having some, just some me time. And with your family too. Yeah. I, I think everybody will be busy doing their own thing. Cause each family is, yeah, I have, um, there's, there's four kids all together. Three of the kids are able to go with their families. So it'll be fun to kind of join them and then also have some just quiet time. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking, honestly, I'm just looking forward to throwing some sunglasses on and sitting by the, the pool or the beach mm -hmm. and just not doing anything. Let the Caribbean life kind of take over. Oh, good. Well, I'm happy for you and I'm excited to hear about it when you get back. I'll shoot some pictures and and uh, say, miss you. <laughs> wish you were here. Wish you were here. And I'll say, oh, I wish I was too. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I am. Just, um, just getting ready, making sure that we have everything we need to, to hit the, hit the airport and be gone for five days. Well, good. Well, we, I wish you the best and good Thanks. travels. It'll be, it'll be good for you. Well, I thought we thought we'd talk about today the part two of the Elizabeth Dole Act. Yeah, I think that's good that we finish it up. All right. So let's talk. Let's talk. Let's get some things off the table right away. We had a nice conversation with um, Maddie Madison Moore with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. And we got some good information from her regarding sort of breaking it down so that it was easier to understand 
And what my takeaway is the bill doesn't create any new programs. Um, like even with the um, skilled care, taking it from 65% to 100%, it's not a new program, it's improving the old program. It's, imp it's improving the program that's in place by allowing for a veteran who needs 24 seven care, skilled care in the home to be able to get it without being Correct. I, I think this is just, um, it's just it's increasing the availability of current VA programs. Mm -hmm. And bringing them forward to being more accurate with today's veterans. Because mm -hmm. I mean, that 65%, that was a, that's in statute. And that was in the like early 90s. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even in the early 90s, you know, 65% was this arbitrary number that was picked because at the time the, the statute indicated that it was a pilot program that would last a couple of years and it was related to VA community living centers. And I don't think that it was ever imagined that a high acuity veteran would, would be home. Cause I mean, when you think about it, they really didn't have portable ventilators. Mm -hmm. You didn't hear about, you know, veterans or even SCI veterans, ALS veterans, living vent traits. I mean, goodness, ALS wasn't even a service-connected disease in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. So I think that what the Elizabeth Dole Home Care Act does is it just makes the resources more relevant for the population the VA serves now. Mm -hmm. And that is that really is the, the big umbrella of what this bill does. It's pulling it all together. It is what's available for the veteran at home, like the veteran directed care program. So it's meant to remove barriers that are in place right now for veteran directed care. If a, if a, and I did we explain what veteran directed care is on our podcast? We we may have we can explain again because I mean someone may be a listener may be coming in as this is this is their first time. So veterans directed care is a program through the care in the community part of the VA, I guess silo of the VA, it falls under GEC, geriatrics and extended care. Mm -hmm. And it is a self-directed program that allows the veteran to hire care, non-skilled caregivers in the home. And it is budget-based and the budgets are based off of a case mix. So they do a case mix, and, you know, once you get that, you get your budget, then you have everything you need to hire someone to care for you. Now, no money is dropped into your account. The VA has a third party payroll company. So the requirements of the veteran or the caregiver that's, you know, the, the responsible person that's doing it is to really just ensure timesheets are filled out and they're accurate. And employees sign them, sign off on timesheets. They go to the VA, and the VA, you know, authorizes payment to the non-skilled caregiver. So it's really no money going into your pocket. It is all this kind of third party that the VA pays. But it is a great program if you can access it. We had it. We started off with just two hours a day in the beginning and then as Tom's needs 
increased. So was so did his case mix. His, mm -hmm. We were able to eventually hire two people. I think we received a total of like, I don't know, something like 168 hours a month mm -hmm. that we could divide out between our non-skilled caregivers. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it is. But VDC is not provided in all BAs or VISNs, I should say, or VAMCs. But there was the um, executive order that came down from President Biden in April mm -hmm. that stated that all, what was it, like 172 VAMCs, something like that is a pretty large number, um, would have the VDC program open and running by the end of fiscal year 24. Mm -hmm. And that is the goal, but, you know, getting it out into some of these communities that are, is rural may be hard because it's hard to find people, you know, to connect with people to be non-skilled caregivers. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of what the Dole Act is hoping to overcome. And in addition, it expands it from just the VAMCs within the continental U.S., Alaska, and Hawaii. It it, it broadens it to the territories. Mm -hmm. So our veterans that are living in U.S. territories will be able to access the same level of care as those that are living here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that will hopefully allow you to even access it because in your area... BDC is only provided to one veteran. One veteran. Uh, and it's, you know, RVA is two and a half hours from us. So there's there's a lot of counties between us. And the, the way that BDC has functioned, as you know, because you did it, is that they call for the Office for the Aging here. Um, it runs, they use the Office for the Aging to help facilitate the program. And so they have to work with county, you know, people work in the county for Office for the Aging to make it available. And somehow that seems to be a problem when you're jumping counties with the with the VAs. So we'll see how this transition takes place. We are, I'm going to request it soon and see what happens because it's going to take a while to make happen. I know in Tom's file, his medical file, it says that he... Um, qualifies for VDC, but that's one thing the, that's okay. That's just true <laughs> to make it actually real is a different thing. And how much patience do I have to do that right now? So I have to make myself have the patience for it because I have to go into it in a different perspective. Like I can't go into it with, you know, sort of my guns blazing, like you're going to have to give this program to him. It says it, it's an executive order. You have the program it has to be a, an approach that is, I would like to help you do that, get this program up and running. And what can I do to make that happen? And that, because that's truly where my heart is anyway. I do tend to get a little PTSD with the, with the VA because for so long in those early years, everything was an argument. Everything had to be fought for. A Band-Aid had to be fought for. And so that's kind of a legacy that's still with me. And I have to, I'm working on changing that language within myself, my own attitude, so that um, I'm asking to help 
I want to help you make this happen, not just for my husband, but, you know, for other people, for other veterans who may need it, because it's a program that would be really useful for me. I know with, when we have our physical, Tom's physical therapist and his respiratory therapist, she comes in once a month. Physical therapist comes in every week and they are such a nice component to the team for Tom. They're friendly and they're kind and they're thoughtful when they're here. They can talk about a whole bunch of different things. They really, they really click with him. And then so then they do with me as well. They're really all in it for him and they respect my role as his wife and then as his caregiver. That's what I would be looking for through veteran directed care. That's very difficult to get with a home health care agency because your healthcare aides, if you can even get them today, they're so hard. There's such a yeah. shortage of them. They can come and go. You know, they don't work out because they don't have a good fit for your family. They, um, the agency moves them around. They come at times that aren't good for you. Like if I need somebody to help me bathe Tom, we have to have somebody come in the morning. We have to have, we have to respect what works for Tom, but the home healthcare agencies are going to be two o'clock in the afternoon. And then he's just going to be waiting around all that time if I need to help him. So, you know, I realize it's not a perfect world and VDC will not be perfection, but it would give us a lot of latitude in who comes in and cares for him. And I really believe that all of our veterans need to have that available to them. Yeah, that is one of the- qualify anyway. Yeah, that's one of the good points is that you can- you can really create a good team as you, you know, you hire people, you can create a team that works well in your home, which I, which I agree. Sometimes with home healthcare agencies, you're kind of at their mercy when they can come in and, and that doesn't always work in, you know, cause we're in this ALS life, we're so regimented sometimes, like we have such schedules we have to maintain mm-hmm. that it doesn't work when you've got a you know, you're trying to plan around other people. The reality is, is because of the disease and what you have to do and the amount of care that's involved, outside companies really have to work around you and the schedule that's been maintained for the veteran that works for them. You know, Mm -hmm. something I wanted to like, just maybe call out and, and stress is what you said, that just because a program is available or just because you qualify for a program at the VA doesn't mean it's available. And I think that's really important. I think sometimes we we hear people say, well, that program's already there. Well, again, that's different. Having the program available to veterans is very different than actually getting you know the program in the home and having the veteran access that program. And I think that this... Um, Dole Home Care Act is taking a step towards that, which is, again, it's getting these GEC programs like home-based primary care and VDC and skilled care actually in the homes and in all of our VAMCs, including those VAs um, and those veterans being serviced in our territories. That's that's the goal. And to that point, um of making that happen, that availability of what's on paper and then in actuality, how it works and actually getting it into the home. The Dole Act also makes for a provision for VSOs to work more closely with the VA on behalf of the veteran um, to help things move along. So for example, if I we apply to veteran-directed care and I get an answer that's not a good answer. 
like, well, we are, we are still a pilot program. And of course, my aunt, my my thought is, well, you've been a pilot program for like five years. So when did your pilot program <laughs> on, I mean, what a pilot program, right? And there's one veteran in it who certainly needs to, I know who the veteran is. She certainly needs to be in the program, but so do so many others. And so yeah. we, I could get the PVA, Paralyzed Veterans of America, who is Tom's veteran service officer. That's the VSO. Um, PVA is Paralyzed Veterans of America is I could get Tom's VSO with PVA on board under the Elizabeth Dole Act to help advocate in facilitating this program being in this home for this veteran here. And I that's really important because sometimes we drop advocacy because things happen. Like I don't have any help right now. So if I if we finish this podcast, during this podcast, the reason why we could do this podcast is because from three o'clock to five thirty, six o'clock every day, Tom goes on his respiratory machine, gives his lungs a rest, let the machine take over for him. He uses his cough assist. He lets his body rest. He's in a beautiful hospital bed and he's got all of his things around him. And it's really, it's really quite nice when you go in there. It's really lovely to go in and see him. He looks really rested and comfortable. If he didn't have that time there, it would be difficult for me to necessarily make this time to do this, right? I would need help if he didn't never took any breaks at all. It was too exhausting to do it. So this is my break to do this. And that's what I give to our listeners. So that's more gratitude. I give that to our <laughs> listeners because I like to be able to share our story. So people hear what, you know, they want to peek in. We want to peek in on each other's lives and say, what's going on in your house? What's going on with your veteran or your person with ALS? And how are you feeling as a caregiver? And how are you doing in the beyond? How are you feeling as a widow? And what does this oh. next trip mean for you and how are you going to process that it gives us a look inside there's a little little sidebar there but um but anyway it gives me the time but supposing i don't have the time i can't use this time to advocate and i have nobody coming into the home i could drop the ball if tom got really sick again i could drop the ball it's nice to know that we could bring vsos our vsos into this level of advocacy and hopefully they do a good job and they stay on it for you to make to realize this for our veterans. Our veterans who need veteran-directed care are pretty sick. They have pretty advanced diseases. They have a spinal cord injury. They have things that they really need somebody to come in and help them. It's pretty serious business that you're dealing with. Yeah. To really improve the quality of that, in, that veteran and his whole lifestyle, we can improve the quality of their life by having the veteran-directed care. You get to choose who's coming into your home. Um, you can develop relationships with them. And then add on to that, if you can have more skill care, the 100% skill care, you know, you're looking at really allowing the veterans to live out the rest of their life in their home for however long that is, a month, a day, three months, a year, two years. It's not like they, generally speaking, are not going to live 10 years with some really serious stuff going on. So it's a beautiful, it's really a beautiful piece, the, the Elizabeth Dolak, to pull all of it together, to take all of yeah. this is that we have pulled together, you and I have pulled together and put into a book because none of that is in one place. It's all mm -hmm. for the VA's website, which is great that it's there. It's under the geriatric and extended care. And then something else is under the other one and something else is under the other one. The grants are in different places. And we put all that as an umbrella into our book 
I'm thinking through VIP. So expand on, I mean, I, I, I know this, you and I have talked about some limitations. So for our listeners, um, cause we see it a lot where, where one, we've, we've all identified in the ALS world, the PVA, I would say by far has ALS down. They understand it. They really are. When you talk to people, it seems like that's the primary organization that comes up. But for our listeners, sometimes I hear when there are issues on the healthcare side, as well as the benefit side, call PVA, call PVA, call PVA. So can you explain why it's, you made the point that this is, this is important because the VSO will be able to come in and help on this side. Um, And that's because some of the VSOs are limited to just the benefit side of the house Mm -hmm. and not the healthcare, correct? That's correct. So the so in the VA, there's three what I call them like three houses in the VA. So you have VA benefits, which is one it's just pure benefits. There's no healthcare on that side. It's what does the veteran qualify based on their condition, and you know, do they re, do they have this the enough time and service and things like that. And then there's so like grants, grants, initial compensation. Um, their compensation. Yeah. First thing is their compensation, getting them service connected for whatever it is that they have going on, whether it's PTSD or a traumatic brain injury, ALS. Um, there's lots of different reasons why cancer, Parkinson's, there's lots of reasons that veterans are service connected. There's little injuries that they have and they can add up to a big one, sleep apnea, all kinds of things. That so like there's a huge book with all the codes for what service connected, it's enormous. And the veteran service organizations can only do their work because they've been trained by the VA to be a veteran service officer. They have to go through a VA program to do that. And so um, that's how they're qualified to be a veteran service officer. And then on the other side of it is the veterans healthcare side. And on the healthcare side, the VSOs typically don't get involved. Though our VSO checks in periodically and asks if Tom's getting everything he needs from the VA. I don't know what he would do if we if we weren't, but we always are. So it's not something I've come across. But I mean, there was one time years ago where we had difficulty getting a battery, which falls on the VA healthcare side. It comes out in prosthetics. And um, I made, I know you'll all be surprised, but I made a lot of noise about it on social media that it was taking three months to get a battery for a wheelchair and his battery was dead. So we couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't get out of the house. And I did make a big deal about it. I was like, what is this with the VA and blah, 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 blah. And so then the PVA contacted me and said, um, well, I know it looks like you need some help. <laughs> so you could just go directly to me. And I was like, but I did go directly to you and you didn't answer my email. And then I couldn't get a phone call through. Like it just kept ringing and ringing and ringing to you too as well. So yeah, actually he got the battery that falls on the healthcare side and he should be able to advocate for that much more easily under the Elizabeth Dole Act than he's been able to now. Like I would think it would be almost an expectation once the Elizabeth Dole Act passes. And then there's the cemetery side. So there's three arms of the VA or three houses, benefits, healthcare, and cemetery. Yeah. Well, thanks for explaining that. Because like I said, I know that 
sometimes I think there's a, this idea that, well, it's just, just call your VSO and they can help with everything. I mean, there may be some that do, it seems like, like when you, when you're looking at like the, the pre nine 11, post nine 11 mm -hmm. organization, some of the post nine 11 organizations seem to have more robust help mm -hmm. or like, on the healthcare side. Semper Fi Fund, they may. Yeah, they're, they're more robust, but again, I mean, there are limitations. So like pre 9-11 veterans don't qualify for services or assistance from some of these post 9-11 organizations. So I, I think that's important because because we can't just, you know, blanket cover all veterans are the same. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've seen it on Twitter um, there, you know, there could be comments. Um, I've seen comments about um, when the Elizabeth Dole Act was um, last year. I had a comment directed, actually it was directed to you and I, because I think I tagged you in something <laughs> and they did a reply. And so you got pulled into it, but it was a conversation of like, well, these services already exist. So I was like, well, that is just a false, you know, or this is duplicative services. And I'm thinking, Seriously, I'm I am so on the ball that if these were duplicative services, I would have utilized that to my advantage. But I didn't because I couldn't because they weren't, and mm -hmm. some of these services weren't available. So I think we we always need to kind of take that step back when we look at these services on who they're helping, you know, and realize that there are some services that are available, especially with the VSO world, that are for certain veteran populations and not for others. Mm -hmm. But I think the Elizabeth Dole Care Act is doing a great job to kind of really pull all of that together. And the beauty is, is a lot of the VSOs are on board with this act. So they see the benefit to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I, that's a great explanation. And if anybody has more questions about it, they certainly can you know, send us an email. It'll be in the show notes or hop onto our Facebook page, ALS Caregivers and Beyond, and send us a message there. And we'll do our best to, if we don't know the answer, we'll do our best to find the answer. There's yeah, I think between final... us, we can find people that can help answer questions. Yeah, we know enough people to help with stuff like that. There's one final piece to it for the PCAFC, which is the primary, I never even can say this correctly. Program for Comprehensive Assistance for Family Caregivers. Sweet. PCAFC. <laughs> it's right in front of me. <laughs> um, to have a warm handoff if a, if a veteran is discharged from the program. I My understanding of that has to do with, that it has to do with before the program was expanded to pre-9-11 veterans, the, the new program, the new rollout of the program that included waves of errors of veterans into the program, it was in two waves. It was you know veterans from one certain period to like 1975, and then from that period in 1975 to all the other veterans who, if they qualify for the program, could be in it. Um, if any of anybody is removed from the program, has to leave the program, it's just the veteran gets better, that there would be a warm handoff to, to other 
professionals in the VA, social workers, you know, that kind of thing to help them transition out of the program. I don't know that I see that happening in our ALS community. I think for the love of God, we would be so happy that that's the reason that we would get out of the program that our veteran got better with ALS. Uh, we would be a medical miracle that happened. Right. Because so the last time we talked to our occupational therapist at the VA was several weeks ago, and Tom's had changes since then. He's had more decline since that last appointment where he needs an improvement and his headrest support, which he's not happy about needing. And so he doesn't want to get one right now. And that's okay. When his head really falls to the side, he'll probably change his mind. But, you know. I'm, you can't force things on people. I would never do that. He's just not ready for it. But it's a lot of changes for him recently. So we'll let him think about that for a while longer. But that's what I mean about ALS. We we always, you know, progression is such a dumb word for ALS because it's like degression. It's like you get worse. Like progression seems like a good thing. Like, oh, I've progressed to the fourth grade or mm -hmm. I've progressed to the next level or I've progressed in my job. I got a raise and I got a new, I got a new position there. It's like a positive word for not a positive thing. Yeah. The decline, but nobody likes to see that, you know, like nobody, like even when we did this, which I won't go into all the details of this for this, this podcast or, or maybe even ever, but we did a whole respiratory therapy video last week when we were testing his force vital capacity and the device I was using that the VA sent me, which it's probably a pretty decent device. It's just not maybe not calibrated correctly, or I'm not really sure what the problem is. And I hope there's something wrong with it because it did not produce good readings for Tom. So we're doing it with them and his scores were consistent, which was important, right? So we had three consistent scores. And they said, this is good because we have three consistent scores. And Tom said, Oh, so my scores were good. And I said, and they're kind of shaking their head. And I could just wondering, like, if they're thinking to themselves, oh man, how do we tell them that these scores are terrible? <laughs> it's just terrible. Yeah. Nobody would want Because they seem so happy that we're saying that we had three good scores. Yeah, because the scores I did on my own were inconsistent. And that's why we did this so that the RTs, respiratory therapists, could coach us through doing it correctly. So we did it correctly, and then we were so happy that we had three consistent scores. But that, but then nobody wanted to say anything to him. And I said to him, I finally said to him, "No, these aren't good scores at all. They're not good. That's why we have to go up there because these aren't good scores, and that does not seem to be in line with how you're breathing now. How you're able to talk when you're breathing, you're not struggling." So the scores are terrible, but it doesn't mean that these are your terrible scores. Like for the love of God, would somebody explain it to the man? Like, don't just stand there, tell him what's happening. It just drives me crazy when people just don't say like the thing that's true, you know? Yeah. Just say the truth of it. So it's the same thing with this headrest. If he doesn't want a headrest now, that's fine. We'll get you one when you want one, when you feel like you need one but you probably are going to need one. And you need to say, like for Tom, I know him so well, like you need to say that to him. You probably will need one. So have it in the back of your mind. Yeah, it's it's a lot of your, you're setting those expectations for him. Of uh, This is what's coming. 
but you're also allowing him, which is something I worked really hard. And I had a lot of, you know, the voices coming at me going, well, he should, you should make him do this. And he should be doing this. We need him to do this. And it, it was always, I needed, it was important that he maintained some autonomy in his disease that we weren't just pushing things on him that he had to accept some of the changes that was happening and the resources that were available. So I commend you. I think that's great to be able to say, nope, when he's ready, he'll do it instead of forcing him into, I mean, and I get there are certain, there were certain times where I had to just, just tell Tom there's you, it's either this or this, <laughs> you don't want to take that medicine. Well, guess what? Well, you're either going to be in pain or we give you the medicine. Mm -hmm. And to, but the consequences of not having it is this. Yes. And those were, they weren't always easy discussions to have, you know, they were, they were hard because, you know, you want them to be better. You want to do what is right by them, but sometimes they, you know, they struggle or they could be like Tom, you know, I think some of it was some of the FTD that played into it where he would refuse things. And I would have, I would have the voices coming at me going, well, you should give him this. It would calm him down. Guess what? He doesn't want to take those things. He doesn't want to take a Xanax or a, you know, why would I do that? If, you know, I'm not going to give him something that he doesn't want. So it's maintaining his autonomy was, I think, really yeah. important. It's his choice. It's patient exactly. choice. Exactly. And you're right. I'm just, you know, I always feel that my role, even though it's probably not always perceived that way, I probably am perceived as controlling and that's only because I know that Tom would have a challenge advocating for himself. And so I know that th we have a lot of conversation before we see a healthcare professional, whether it's his primary care doctor, a neurologist, uh, anybody on the VA team in the, in the healthcare side, we have conversations beforehand. So I, kn I know what he wants. Yeah. And then I'll say that. And then he, he's usually so grateful that I've even said that to him, you know, to the people. So because he forgets it or he feels, he feels pushed into it and he shouldn't feel that he should have his own, he should be his, have his own voice in that, you know, and mm -hmm. sometimes it has to come through us. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think it was probably the same here in central Texas working, working with our clinicians. I'm sure they thought I was very controlling and but, you know, that's, that's, they only see a certain part of it. They don't see, you know, the conversations that we have at home with our person with ALS or our pals or vows veteran with ALS. Um, but yeah, as a caregiver, you know, you just, you're just doing your best under terrible circumstances that we don't want anybody to have to ever experience, but we know they will. I know if you're listening, you probably are. So if you have questions or some thoughts that you'd like to share with us, we're happy to hear it. I don't have a quote for today. Do you have one? No, but before we wrap it up, I, I, you know, there was one more thing I wanted to kind of dispel as far as like some of the things that I've seen on Really, it's really been on Twitter. I think I, I see most of the advocacy, hardcore advocacy stuff on Twitter. Mm -hmm. It is this idea, and I've seen it, where 
people have, those that have come out against the Elizabeth Dole Act mm -hmm. have said that Senator Dole herself will benefit from this. Mm -hmm. And that is frustrating. And, and clearly you look at it and you think to yourself, oh, well, that's just a narrative they're trying to throw out because maybe they don't have anything else that they can throw out that's negative against this bill because everything about this bill is positive. Senator Dole has given her entire life over to service, you know? Absolutely. Heart. She has no financial stake in this at all. And that's what I think is so frustrating is to see those comments and to know they exist and to think to yourself, how, how would that even happen? What does that even look like? Because these are VA programs. And isn't that something that we want is the VA to take care of our veterans, especially our high acuity veterans with things like removal of the 65%. She has done nothing. Her organization has really been an ear to listen. And that's really what a lot of these components to this bill is, is they've just heard from all of their caregivers on the struggles that we face. And this is a result of that. So I just wanted to throw that out there that that is just one of the negatives and it's it's absolutely absurd. And I would challenge anybody that truly believes that to reach out to me or to us and discuss it with us. Yeah, there's nothing to be financially to be gained anyway. Yeah. So basically like a the Elizabeth Dole Act is a thread pulling programs together so that they're so that we can see them better and we can access them better. And the VA is encouraged and um, to do more trainings on these programs and get them out to the veterans who need to have the programs. Yeah, and offer them in communities that are not receiving these services that are clearly available. That's a good one. It's a good one to end on. Yeah. We're all for Elizabeth Dole here. She's done a we good are. job. I think I she's amazing lady. You'll know you'll be so happy that I did find a quote. So I was like, wait, I can't end this without a quote. It's from um, John O'Donoghue. Um, his, one of his books called To Bless the Space Between Us. And this one is called To Come Home to Yourself. May all that is unforgiven in you be released. May your years yield their deepest tranquilities. May all that is unlived in you blossom into a future graced with love. That is beautiful. I'll put it in the um, show notes. I realized I didn't put the one last week in the show notes, which I could go back in and do that and a link to it and a link to this book. Um, John O'Donoghue was a priest. Um, he's no longer alive, but he's had a couple of books and there's a couple of really great poems in here. So to come home to yourself is a a daily practice in my life. I always work to come home to myself every day. That's beautiful, Mary. And I love that that's the one you chose to, to end today's podcast. Yeah. All right. So we want you to have a safe trip. We want to see you. photos and get a good report when you come back. And so we won't be podcasting next week in the early part of the week, which is usually what we do. And you'll just let me know when you're ready. I will. All right. Bye, Mary. Bye.